We've been building up to this the last couple of weeks, and I'm excited to share this week's topic with you. This week, I'm introducing you to the self-coaching model. It's a cognitive tool for you to use to create awareness, and it is so incredibly powerful. We've talked about facts, things that occur, things that are, and we've talked about how our stories, our thoughts about them, are what create our feelings. And that it's actually those stories and feelings that make up our experience of our lives. This week, we're going to see how it all fits together and how your feelings fuel how you show up and ultimately what you create in your life. This is going to be fun, and I hope that you're ready. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about what it means to be a late Gen X or early millennial woman dipping her toes into midlife. I'm specifically talking to the woman who sees this stage of life as an opportunity to reflect on her life to date and to begin the second half with intentionality and purposefulness, whatever that may mean to her. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. Thank you so much for the ratings and reviews, truly. This is the way that people find out about the podcast. It lets Apple Podcasts know that they're worth suggesting, and it gets the word out to other people who aren't in my orbit, but who might find something that we're talking about on this show useful for their own lives. So they thank you, and I thank you. I am loving hearing from so many of you that you're enjoying the show and the particular things that you find useful. Not only is it encouraging, which it really is, but it also helps me to know what type of content and topics are most useful for you. So it shapes future shows. My desire is to put content out there that meets your needs. So thank you for that feedback and keep it coming. Something that you may not be aware of is that I also send a weekly email newsletter with similar types of content and sometimes an additional nugget related to the podcast that sort of adds on a little bit, a little bit more. This email comes out on Monday mornings, and it's a great way to start your week on a positive note. If you'd like to hear from me on Monday morning via email, go to the show notes page for this episode, or any episode for that matter, and enter your email to get that episode's worksheet. You'll receive the worksheet right away. And the next Monday, you'll receive the newsletter email with a link to the Google Drive with all of the worksheets for the previous and upcoming episodes. And also, people who are on my email list, those are going to be the people who find out first about upcoming special events like webinars or online classes or even free coaching that I'm offering. I would love to be in touch with you more often, so let's do this. Each week, I like to chit-chat a little bit with you and tell you what's going on with me, my journey, what I'm working on, insights that I'm having, or whatever, and I hope that it's useful to you. So right now, I'm coming off of four weeks in a row of business travel, and this week's a little bit different. This week, I'm working locally for a portion of the week, but I'm taking a couple days off at the end of the week to attend the Georgia Romance Writers Conference, Moonlight and Magnolias. I am right in the middle of my busy season, and I'm taking off time from work to attend a conference for personal reasons. 
a conference about writing romance novels. Now, you might think that's a little gauche or embarrassing, and why am I sharing it with you? I'm telling you about it for a few reasons. It is possible to have the big job or the big career and also to have a big life. Rather than diminishing your commitment to your work, having interests and passions outside of work enhances what you bring to the table. I'll attend this conference and sessions on things like creating compelling characters, elements of plot, and even up-and-coming writer's block. And one of the things that I love about immersing yourself in very different interests is how much one can unexpectedly inform the other. I'll end up having takeaways from this conference that I'll apply both at my day job and in life coaching. You've heard me talk a lot about the stories that we tell ourselves. This year, this event would have been really easy for me to pass by, and I honestly nearly didn't sign up. As I think about my personal pursuits right now, life coaching is where my attention is. Writing is something I want to do more of and know that I will do more of, but it's waiting in the wings right now. Attending this conference is a way for me to keep that thing that I want to do in the second half of my life, writing novels, present for me in the here and now. I also do that by reading and by keeping in touch with my writing friends. Also, attending this conference is a way that I offer myself purposeful rest. I've worked hard the last four weeks, and it's been all-consuming, as it always is. And turning to something like this that is totally other is restorative to me. It's not lying prostrate on the couch rest, but it does provide a restful outlet. I will tell you, though, it's important for me that I think about it as purposeful rest and not as one more thing to do. I've got to go to that conference. It's so easy for me to slip into one more thing to do. But this is for me. And I have to remind myself of that, especially when I get up early in the morning to drive across town in Atlanta in traffic for conference sessions when I could be doing other things. I also know we're going to laugh and have a great time. I love the women that I have met attending this conference, women I never would have met otherwise, but that I've stayed in touch with now for several years. We laugh and are silly together and tell stories, and it is good for all of us. I'm looking forward to it, and I can't wait. What about you? What activity or event is there that you could participate in that would give you an outlet and some fun? A way to disengage from your focused work or an opportunity to spend time on something that you want for the future. This again is one of those reasons it's good to know what we want in the future, so we can begin thinking about those things and planting some seeds now. I would encourage you to find that thing. It's so worth it. So I want to give you some context for where we've been and where we're going before we dive into our topic for today. We talked in episode 11 about knowing what you want for the second half of your life, how to think about it, some entry points, why you want to know, and also why you might find yourself resisting that work. One of the reasons you want to know what you want for the second half of your life is that you can't pursue a goal that you don't have. Without an address plugged into the GPS, 
you may arrive somewhere, and it may even be somewhere great. But you increase your chances of arriving where you want to arrive when you set a destination. You can't create the life you want if you don't know what that life is. We've spent these last couple of weeks in episodes 12 and 13 teasing out what I have called the bare facts of what happens in our lives. The facts, the events, the indisputable and uninterpreted occurrences. We're separating those out from the stories that we tell about those things. And seeing that it isn't these bare facts that create your life, but the thoughts and the stories that you tell yourself about your life that creates how you view it, how you see it, and very specifically, how you feel about your life and how we think and feel creates our experience of our lives. Many of us slip into a little bit of unconsciousness and feel like we're just being blown around by the things happening in our lives. And our brains do this because they make habits out of even just our thoughts and things that are happening around us. And our brains have a propensity to ensure that what happens around us confirms our story, even if it doesn't serve us. And as we've talked about before, our brains also have a tendency towards negativity. So we've talked about how we create the experience of our lives. And today I want to put a bow on that and teach you the self-coaching model, which is a tool you can use to see how you have shown up and created your life as it is today. And it's a tool that you can use to think about how you might show up to create the life that you want in the future. So what I'm introducing you to today is called the Self-Coaching Model, developed by Brooke Castillo, the founder of the Life Coach School. What she would say about this model is that it's not something that she created. It's simply a way of observing how the world works. And if you have been a student or a client of counseling or psychology, you may notice similarities to cognitive models in CBT. Those of you who have followed Martha Beck will recognize similarities there as well. I think a distinction of Brooks' approach is really that the self-coaching model forms the cornerstone of all of her coaching. This is the methodology in which I'm certified. And Brooke teaches coaches and others who want to use it routinely for their own insight and for life change. I use it daily to gain awareness of what's going on for me. There is always something to learn. And we're actually not starting from scratch. You're going to recognize a lot of this from our content and discussion over the last couple of weeks about the facts of a situation. I've been talking about these bald facts of a situation a whole lot. I don't know if that's a thing, bald facts, but it makes sense to me. I hope it's illustrative for you. If it wasn't a thing, maybe it is now. But this tool is called the self-coaching model because it is a way for you to coach yourself, for you to think about what's going on in your own life and mind and create insights. And I'm offering you this tool for you to use and play around with and see how it could be useful in your own life. So the self-coaching model has five parts, and I'm going to explain each of these in turn, and then we're going to dive a bit deeper on each part. So five parts, circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. And these circumstances are the bald facts. So circumstances are the explicit or strict, I would say, facts of a situation within which you find yourself. 
without any evaluation or interpretation or even summaries. These are things that are generally provable, not disputed, and not based on your own perspective. And we're trying to make them purposefully neutral. This is a tool that we're using, right? So these circumstances are going to be things such as the following. I received an email from my boss at 8.15 p.m. He said that dress springs out your eyes. There is 25K in my checking account on such and such date. My husband didn't say happy birthday on my birthday. So moving on to thoughts. Thoughts are what we've talked about as stories, even like flash fiction stories because of their brevity. They're just phrases in your brain. They're little bits, nuggets of story. So these are things like the following. He expects me to respond to email around the clock. He's talking about my eyes because he thinks my butt looks big. He thinks I'm beautiful. I'm secure. That's enough. That's not enough. I know he loves me. I'm not important to him. And then we go on to feelings. Feelings are just one word. Sad, glad, mad, bad. If that's all you've got to describe your feelings, that is totally fine. But if you like a little bit more nuance as you're thinking about describing how you feel, that could be things like betrayed, burned out, delighted, excited, bored, restless. Of note, feelings are not things like, I feel like it's not enough, or I feel like he doesn't love me. Those are actually thoughts, kind of masquerading a bit as feelings. And on to actions. The actions are going to be things you do, things you don't do, things we would see if we were following you around with a video camera, and things happening in your mind, like ruminating. And lastly, results. And results are going to be what happens for you as a result of your action. Because the self-coaching model is about you. It's about your experience. So we've spent the last couple of weeks with circumstances and thoughts and feelings and looking at them in the big picture, kind of in the macro. What are all the thoughts? What are the actual facts? Where did the thoughts come from? Do they belong to me? Do I actually believe them? What are all of the feelings? And what are the thoughts creating them? So guess what? If you've been doing these exercises, you are already doing some self-coaching. And all of these are great entry points and ways to coach yourself when you're working through something. I bet you've already had some insights and gained some awareness as a result. And these are tools that I use all the time. The model is a bit more narrow in that we're going to narrow our focus to one thought and one feeling in our models. So let's walk through a model, shall we? We'll start at the top and identify our circumstance, our C. I've just abbreviated parts of the model with the first letter. So C-T-F-A-R. So when we're talking about something that happens to us, you might say, for example, I was meeting my friend for dinner and she didn't show up. And that feels very factual. And it's probably not untrue, but it actually does include a little bit of judgment and evaluation. We don't really know exactly what happened. We just know she's not present at the moment. 
So if we're thinking about the facts of the situation, what those facts, those circumstances might be, my friend and I arranged to meet for dinner at 5 p.m. Maybe you're going for the early bird special. And we arranged to meet at 5 p.m. and it's 5.15 and she has not yet arrived. Or perhaps even better, she has not arrived. Or even better, she's simply not here. Again, we're trying to remove the evaluation. We're trying to remove any sneaky thoughts that try to build themselves into our circumstance. Just simple facts unevaluated of the situation. So our circumstance ends up being, we arrange to meet at 5 p.m., she's not here. And then we want to take a look at our thoughts about the situation. And now, of course, you have tons of thoughts, as we've talked about and done down, thought, thought down, we've done some thought downloads about, lots of thoughts going on every day, every moment. So you're likely having a lot of thoughts about the situation. And in a thought download, you would just dump all of these out and then you and that may be what you do here, especially if you can't really get a great sense right out of the gate of a thought that you want to look at. You might be thinking, gosh, it's great to have a few minutes of quiet to myself before she gets here. Or you might be thinking, she never respects my time. What else? You could be thinking, this is a ridiculous waste of my time. Or maybe something entirely different because this is so unlike her and you're worried. So you might be thinking something might have happened. So probably as you think through your thoughts, sift them through, you're going to find one that stands out above the rest. And for the purposes of our model, we just want to pick one thought. We want to tease out through the mess of thoughts that you're having and take a look at what one thought is creating for you. So let's take a look here at she never respects my time. So that's our thought. And now we're going to take a look at the feelings. So if we think about our thoughts creating our feelings, and you all know I use feelings and emotions interchangeably for our purposes, what is a single one-word feeling that comes up for you when you think the thought, she doesn't respect my time? And I'm going to take a sidebar here and point out the language that I'm using. I'm not asking, how do you feel when you have a 5 p.m. reservation and it's 5.15 and she's not there? I'm asking you what you feel when you think the thought, she never respects my time. Because remember, it's not her absence that's creating the emotion. It's the thought that you're having about her absence. And how do we know this? Well, one of the other thoughts that we considered as we were thinking of thoughts above was, gosh, it's great to have a few minutes of quiet to myself before she gets here. And honestly, I can totally see myself thinking this thought. After working a long day and getting through traffic, it might actually be good just to have a couple minutes to myself before my friend arrives to shift gears and settle down. The facts of the situation actually haven't changed. We had a 5 p.m. reservation. It's 5.15. She's not here. But if my predominant thought is that it's great to have a few minutes of quiet, the emotion that I'm going to be having is very different than if I'm thinking she doesn't respect my time. So let's go back to looking at the feeling that comes up when you think she doesn't respect my time. For me, the feeling that that would generate is a little bit of anger. 
she doesn't respect my time. Yeah, I'm going to feel a little bit angry. What about you? If you think this thought, what emotion would it call up for you? Resentment? Resignation? Something else? There's no right answer. And as we think about our feelings, I have two images for you to consider. One of of our feelings being the gasoline that fuel our actions. And the other image is thinking of our feelings as the soil from which our actions emerge. So what does that feeling of anger create? Our feelings fuel how we show up, if you remember. I'm having the thought, she never respects my time, and I'm feeling angry. So what do I do from a place of anger? I'm probably texting my husband and saying, she's done it again. It's like she doesn't respect my time at all. And maybe if I'm feeling super petty, I might get on Facebook and do a little vague booking about it, maybe alluding to waiting at the restaurant or something. I'm probably going to also mentally rehearse all of the other times that she's done this before or otherwise been inconsiderate in my mind. I'm not giving her the benefit of the doubt. I'm not really thinking about her as an adult who might have had something come up, who might have actually had a good reason for being late. So another question to ask is, what would I be doing if I wasn't angry? Because remember, I'm not angry because she's not there. I'm angry because I'm thinking she doesn't respect my time. So if she was just not there and I wasn't angry, I might actually be enjoying the peace and quiet. I might be looking forward to our conversation and thinking about things I want to remember to tell her and the time we're going to spend together. I might be on Facebook, Instagram, email. And as I said, I could be using that time just to come down from the busyness of the day and all the rushing around that we do. I'm not doing any of that, though because I've gotten myself riled up into a place of anger. So that's our action line. And the last line is our results. It's the what does this create for me line. Our results are always about us. My result is that I've wasted or disrespected my own time. I had a few minutes of downtime that I didn't plan on, and I chose to spend it angry, which didn't serve me at the end of a busy day. Another possible result is I didn't actually respect her by considering her responsibilities and her choices that she needs to make and why she might have needed to be late. And think about how this might play out over the course of our dinner together. Instead of being relaxed and open and connecting with my friend, social connection that I probably need and want, I might be pretty terse. I might be a little pissed off, frustrated. And it might take me longer to relax when she actually does show up. So think about how we would usually describe a situation like this. How would we talk about it? She showed up late, so I was pissed. And my evening was ruined. It had to happen that way. It couldn't have happened any other way. Her showing up late caused me to be pissed off. We think that the circumstances cause us to show up in a particular way that creates the results that we experience. This is how we live in the world, folks. We do this all day long. What the model illuminates for us is the role of our own thoughts and feelings. The fact that she didn't show up, the fact that she's not there at 515 
after we made a five o'clock reservation to have dinner together. That isn't making me angry. The thought that's making me angry is my evaluation, my interpretation, my thought that this means she doesn't respect my time. And so what can I do with this information when I've done a model on this and I've sort of figured it out? I do think when people are initially presented with this or they hear it from somebody, they think something like, well, okay, so I'm just not supposed to think this is disrespectful. I mean, clearly it's disrespectful, but I can tell myself it's not. And I would say it's really not about that at all. It's not about deciding that it's not disrespectful and that you just shouldn't think that and everything will be fine and you'll feel better, just gumdrops and sunshine. The point for me is for me to see that it isn't this thing outside of myself, her showing up late, that's creating an emotion within me. It's my own thinking about the situation that's creating the feeling. My actions, my results are created by my feeling. Seeing this puts me in a different place in terms of ownership of the situation. And I do want to save more of this discussion for another day, but I also want to answer this question in case it's pressing on your mind. If she had been there at 5 p.m. for our 5 p.m. reservation, I wouldn't have even had the thought that she was disrespecting me. True. My brain may not have had that same thought under different circumstances. And so I might be perfectly happy with the thought that she's disrespecting me. That may feel like exactly what's happening, and I believe it to be true, and I want to hold on to that thought, and that's no problem at all. But if you have been trying to control people for any length of time, you've learned how ineffective that is. If you're waiting for them to be different so that you can experience something different, I have bad news. People get to do what they want, even if we think it's shitty. And when we dig in our heels and say, I deserve to be respected, she didn't show up on time, you're handing your friend, the same friend, by the way, who you're calling disrespectful, you're handing her responsibility for your emotional well-being. And that never works. And again, we could, we could chase this rabbit trail, but we'll save it for another day. But I do want to plant those seeds for you. So let's look at a couple of other examples of models. And what I told you about models is that we can use them to gain insight into why we're experiencing what we're experiencing, how we have created our lives as they are right now, and we can use them to think about what we want to create for our future. So we're going to take a look at just some simple models on the topic of weight loss with a client who wants to lose 40 pounds for the second half of her life. This is just the tip of the iceberg for how we can use these models, but I really want to build a foundation for you. So let's take a look at something that this client is experiencing in her life right now. She comes in, she says she was about 40 pounds overweight and wants to lose it. She's discouraged and wants me to help her come up with a diet plan and a strategy to lose the weight. So one of the things that we're going to do is take a look at her current model about her weight. She's told me she's 40 pounds overweight and she feels discouraged. As a coach, and you can do this for yourself with some practice, I'm going to be looking for the facts, for the circumstance. She has started with, I'm 40 pounds overweight. And she's telling me this as if it's simply the truth. And maybe it is. Perhaps she's looked at a weight chart and she is exactly 
in that weight bracket where 40 pounds would put her back into the normal weight category. But more likely, this idea of being 40 pounds overweight is her shorthand for how she's thinking about the weight she wants to lose. So what actually is her circumstance? Her circumstance might be her actual weight. It's a fact. It's measured. So we're going to call her circumstance 200 pounds. And I'm going to come down to the F line. She has told me that she's discouraged. So I would ask, why do you feel discouraged? I can't get my weight under control. So she looks at the scale and it says 200 pounds. And she thinks, I can't get my weight under control. And she feels discouraged. When you feel discouraged and you're thinking you can't get your weight under control, what do you do? I think that it's hopeless. I look at my friends who are thinner and I'm jealous of them. I think about how it's impossible to lose weight and that if you want to be thin, you need to eat ice cubes instead of snacks. I just eat what I want because I figure it doesn't matter anyway. And I would ask her, what doesn't she do? I don't come up with a plan to lose weight. I'm not motivated. I don't start the new diet. In fact, I really believe none of them are going to work. I don't feel like exercising. And if I had a camera following you around, what would I see you doing? Going about my daily life, continuing to be discouraged and thinking there's really nothing I can do about my weight. I'm waiting for motivation to strike. I'm judging myself. I'm wondering if I just need to actually accept being overweight. I'm ashamed. Nothing's changing. And what result does this create for her? She's doubling down on discouragement. She's not coming up with a plan. She's not taking control of her weight. She's not losing any weight. And in fact, she might gain some more. So here's an observation that I want to make for you about this model. We think if we tell ourselves things like, I can't get this under control, I've got to get this under control, that we're going to shame ourselves into action. I need to make myself feel really bad, and then I'll take action. But what you can see from this is that it doesn't actually work that way. The down-on-yourself self-talk, it just keeps you stuck. It keeps you where you are. Another option, and I point this out because we all do it. I've done it. I may be doing it right now, in fact. Not only is she not moving forward with losing weight, which is what she wants for the second half of her life, She's in a pattern that makes her feel like crap about that mistakenly thinking that it will at some point flip over and turn into motivation. If she feels bad enough, eventually she'll wake up one day motivated. So if you are this client and you are using the self-coaching model, you can really see how what you are thinking, the story about your weight is impacting your inability to lose weight how your thoughts and your story are creating what you're experiencing right now. So let's look at it another way. Let's start with the results in the model. So what are the results that the client, she the client or you the client, however you'd like to think about it, would like to create? And we're going to go all the way down here to the result line because you can really start with the model in any line. She wants 40 pounds lost. Well, what actions would it take to create this result. 
She says, I need to stop snacking, stop saying screw it and eating just what I want to because I want to, stop eating to make myself feel better after a long day at work. I'd need to actually prioritize my long-term goal of weight loss over the gratification of the moment of eating something just because I want to. I'd need to be able to want something in the moment and choose not to eat it. And this isn't an exhaustive list of actions that she'd need to take in order to lose weight, but it is an example of how she's tapping into her own wisdom about where the particular areas are that she needs to make some changes. So what would she need to feel in order to do these things? And this is where you want to play around with it because this is really going to vary by individual. If our feelings fuel our actions, what feeling would allow a person to stop eating to feel better, which is what we're hearing from her, right? So the feeling that I'm going to go with for this exercise is empowered or even resilient. So what thought would create that feeling of empowerment. I'm going to suggest a thought the feeling could come from is, I don't have to eat to feel better. Or, I'm capable of wanting something and not eating it. Or even, I can make myself feel better without food. So these would be some intentional thoughts to try on and to see what resonates. We're going to pick one here for the purposes of the illustration, but if you're trying to do this, I would suggest testing what resonates and see how it feels to you. Pick a thought that feels good. If it feels ick, if it feels unbelievable, if you have this kind of gut yuck response, it's not a good thought for you. You can't just talk yourself into believing something that you don't believe by repeating it. And a thought that you don't believe isn't helpful. It really has the effect of getting you to dig in even further. So going back to the model, what would her circumstances be here? It might just be her weight. So again, 200 pounds, or we could use the goal itself. I have set a goal of losing 40 pounds. Hopefully this gives you an idea of how you could use this tool to set a goal and reverse engineer your thoughts and your feelings to set you up in a way that you can show up to achieve your goal. We're just getting our toes wet here. At some point in the future, we'll talk about goal setting some more and we'll do some more work with this, but I just really now want to give you an idea of something that you could play around with. So today I've given you a taste of the self-coaching model, something you can use yourself to gain insight into how you're showing up in your current situation. We looked at a couple of examples about how you can use it to see how you create the specific results in your life. And we've also played around with using it to reverse engineer what you might want in the future. It's a little complicated. It's a lot counterintuitive. But I wanted you to have a glimpse of the lens that I use to think about how you might create what you want for the second half of your life. Because I will continue to talk a lot on this podcast about our thoughts and how impactful they are. So if you're finding yourself looking at this or hearing this and feeling skeptical, feeling like you would for sure be angry about your friend not showing up on time for dinner, because that's what happened. And it's not about what you're making it mean. It's outside of you. That is totally fine. I would suggest just playing around with this. You can look at this tool as a lens to see how you contribute to what's happening in your life. 
rather than jumping all in on how you create what's happening. Just give it a go. Run some models for yourself on some small things, maybe some big things, and see what you see. You don't have to be bought in on this to glean insight. For this week's worksheet, I'm going to provide you with some instructions on creating models of your own and a space to create your own models. This is a worksheet you want to get your hands on for sure. And this is, again, this is something I suggest you just play around with, experiment with it and see what comes up. And if you have questions, and you probably will, feel free to DM me on Instagram or email me if you're on my email list and I'll help you through it. And if this is something you're interested in learning more about, feel free to reach out. If there is interest from enough folks, I could actually do a live webinar and teach a little bit about how to create and use your own models. That'd be fun. So go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode 15. You're going to find not only the show notes for this episode, but also the worksheet that I talked about with some instructions on creating models and space to create some of your own. That's stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode 15. The link is going to be in the description of whatever app you're listening or watching in. Thank you for sticking with me through the 15th episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I do hope you'll join me back here on your favorite podcast player or on YouTube for our next episode. Wherever you listen, please do like and subscribe. Tell your friends. If you're enjoying it, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Have a great week, and I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye. Bye.